time, you dress so fine. Do the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you... The Rolling Thunder Review. Starring Bob Dylan with Joan Baez, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and Bob Newworth comes to the Niagara Convention Center on Saturday, November 15th. Lay, 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 lay across my big dress bed. In order to accommodate the demand, there will be two performances, 4 o'clock and 9 o'clock on Saturday, November 15th. Tickets are on sale now only at the Niagara Convention Center box office for $8.50. All seats are reserved on a first-come basis. How are you? The Rolling Thunder Review, starring Bob Dylan, comes to the Niagara Convention Center for two performances on Saturday. Welcome to the supplemental series, our long dormant series that uh, we did five of them in season one, zero in season two. Nice. And so far, zero in season three, except for now. Yeah. Breaking the, what's it called? Lull? Mm, Breaking dip? The, rut? Yeah. Ah, whatever. We were in a rut. We were in a lull. We were in a dip. <laughs> and now we are out of it. So this is volume six. That's right. We have recorded a volume six before. It'll never see the light of day. So this is becoming the new volume six. And what a volume six it is. The Rolling Thunder Review. The movie by Martin Scorsese. A Bob Dylan story. Turns we out. watched it. <laughs> so turns out we've also already recorded this podcast. Oh, man. And if you want to listen to highlights, here you go. We are going to be talking about... The Rolling Thunder Review, the Netflix movie that was uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, taking uh, old footage uh, from the Rolling Thunder Review, from the Rolling Thunder Review, and uh, transposing it on what was going on in America in 1975, 1976. Uh, I'm going to need to to stop you right there. I'll let you finish, but I'm going to need to cut you off. Uh, also known as Conjuring the Rolling Thunder Review. A Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. Wild Nights, Real World Blues, Flights of Rock and Roll Fancy. Bob Dylan took the wheel. Next stop, the stuff of music, legend, in an alchemic mix of fact and fantasy. Martin Scorsese looks back at Bob Dylan's 1975 Rolling Thunder Review tour. Tour and a country ripe for reinvention. Oh, yeah. He looks back at the tour and the country. I get it. Yes. So close. Yes. <laughs> That's what we watched. On Netflix. Uh, I mean, we start with Bob Dylan saying that Saigon fell. Saigon fell in the, the early 70s. So we're dealing with just the end of Vietnam. I think Bob Dylan is sort of put in a time capsule. Um, no Direction Home certainly was all about that time capsule. Um, and a commentary on the time capsule for sure. But like we think of the Vietnam War. We think of student protests. We think of the 1960s. Bob Dylan is such a part of it. This is ripe for the picking because Bob Dylan is still a superstar who the, the, the movie at least acknowledges that he stepped away for a while. We're not going to go super deep. If you want to listen to us uh, reviewing the Rolling Thunder Review and talking about the Rolling Thunder Review, the musicians, what a review is, all that kind of shit, you can go back and listen to episode 26. We, we randomly chose that two years ago. Uh, so I, I recommend listening to that if you're like brand new to this. But otherwise, we're just going to kind of talk about it as a movie, uh, as an experience. You have now listened to almost 100 Bob Dylan songs, including a bunch of albums. Big ones, Highway 61, mm-hmm. you know, of course, Empire Burlesque. I mean, you've listened to, I mean, but John Wesley Harding, right. you've listened to great records, uh, Planet Waves even, from his era. What did you think? What is your just big, big take on this movie? I was curious who it was made for, because like you said, it's 
I don't know that you necessarily have to be a Bob Dylan fan to want to watch this movie, and maybe that was kind of the point. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely aware that this is 2019 uh, and didn't play too much to nostalgia, I feel like, which would have been really easy where it's like catering. Like, we don't have to speak in this this certain language that boomers are going to flock to. Like, they're, it, it felt very much of today. Yeah. Uh, but then I also like, I don't know, It was. I feel like it was close to being really cool. Like, if I'm trying to take it out, because unfortunately I have too much context now, so it's hard for me to watch it to somebody who doesn't know Bob Dylan, which was some, not that I know this dude. Can you ever know Bob Dylan? No, you can't. Yes. I mean, and we know that from this. Which yeah, is, I think exactly. Fabulous. That's even his fucking brand. I'm an enigma. Yes. Aren't I special? Uh, but I, trying to, trying to be a little more objective about it and trying to watch is like, what I, f- I would find this interesting just because it's like yeah. a cool little time capsule. Um, I mean, the fashion, if anything, I was like, wow, this is how hipsters dress now. I, like, I just had this moment of like, the 70s are today. This, it's happening right now. That's what we're well, Once you right said now. that, I mean, we were five minutes into it and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm just going to watch it for the, for <laughs> the, the fashion. fashion. Yeah, yeah. And everyone looks amazing. And that's, There's like no one people that looks... The hipster chic, that's, yeah, that no. is that right now. I definitely at the moment. The way the world was 15 years ago when No Direction Home came out, you can't find that easily streamable it's not on netflix you know you don't have access mm. to don't look back you don't have access to all the all the great bob dylan you know sort of uh, movies if you will that have been made over the last 50 years so this is it i mean for netflix like you want bob dylan you've got more eyeballs than anyone else this is a huge coup and i think for somebody who's like i'm not going to invest the time to go to amazon and rent or buy or whatever no direction home but i will sit down and watch this this concert video See, I don't think I ever would because I think it's unsatisfying on all the things it tries to do. Maybe because it doesn't have a clear point of view. It's not a biopic. It's not uh, a straight up documentary because it's a lot of concert footage. Like it's it's a for me not a perfect mix of a tour vid like a a musical performance video and then some behind the music stuff because it doesn't go far enough in any direction. It like gets a little bit of those things, which leaves me on the whole unsatisfied. Yeah, where you kind of get to know him a little bit, and then you get to pull back. And so for a super fan, it's really interesting to see moving pictures of all these photos by Ken Reagan that you've been looking at for years and years and years. And the, the end credits are just Ken Reagan photo, photo after Ken Reagan photo. It's really cool to get to see it live in person. I think that if if I was a kid and I didn't know and I wanted to get to know Bob Dylan more, I don't know if there's any way that's more accessible than a beautiful HD, like, restored quality 70s video. Oh, and the sound's fucking amazing. And just, like, everything zooming in on Dylan. I personally, like, when I think about, you know, live stuff that I've I've enjoyed, I don't like it when you just focus on the singer or whatever. You don't focus on instruments. But there's something about Dylan. There's something about the manicness and the weirdness, the weird energy that I think people are going to be immediately drawn to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what really made me... um, Like, I didn't dislike it. I thought it was enjoyable. I just... I I don't know. It didn't have a a take. It didn't have a point of view at all, which made it hard to know what you were trying to do. But if you're just taking it on face value, I think it's really compelling. Like, I'm a person in 2019 who knows something about Bob Dylan. Um, But I know... I listen to Radiohead. I know who Lord is, and it's like to see this person being like this weird fucking gesticulation Bunk little nutbag, yeah. like on stage way before these people that I know contemporarily. Yeah, it's cool just to be like, oh wow, that dude was being a nutcase in the seventies. <laughs> like, well, we that's we fun. created this whole theory of Scarlet, like is trying to like staring at Bob the whole time, and she <laughs> she is bewitching him. Yes, and then every time that Dylan looks over at her and like does this crazy stare. He's like fighting off her curses and they're like, 
the magic that's going on between them is like all in those stairs. Yes. And I, and I feel like that's just a fun thing that we did on the couch, but I think that people are probably doing that across the country. You I know? hope so. Looking at these people and being like, oh man. And I think just the idea of a, of a huge act going and playing in a small place is always appealing. Well, see, and seeing and them on auditorium. I know, and, but like, I wish they would have explored that more. That's the thing. It's like, what are we trying to say? Are we trying to show, is this like a, the horrors of tour video? Is this a, um, how hard it is to be a songwriter? Like how the, the, the pressures of fame and like, it, it touches on a little bit of that. Yeah, no, the, the, the time is fine. Like they, they inserted enough of that just to show the passage of time. It's like, here's Nixon and then Ford and then here's Jimmy Carter. And like, that was fine. But like, if we're trying to show this is a thing that started here in Plymouth and then we get to the end. This is the end. This is the last tour. And like, clearly things have changed, but we are getting no context. Like, it'd be cool to like, that's a great story to tell of like, I don't think Bob Dylan wants to have a deep dive. Well, into, how his marriage fell apart. Well, not only that, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure that that's not fun, but, right. but even just like the, the logistics of what Rolling Thunder two were, you know, in a, in a place in his life. Um, yeah, and we don't even talk about like the recording of Desire. Like, there's so much left unsaid. But I think that that's what the what the movie does is show you that there are threads here, man. You want to know more about that girl playing violin? Oh, sure, yeah. Then you you get in the club, like get in the club. But we're not gonna like force your hand here. I mean, that was my favorite part is learning more about Scarlet. There was a whole lot of Scarlet. Like, it was really a, a, a good chunk of that. And also, I, like, I want to say the one thing that I think that this movie really did well was talking about the, like the serendipities of life, like this idea of a superstar going out and playing your tiny, you know, municipal um, auditorium Mm -hmm. is such a cool idea that bands still really much do today. Getting to go to a show and you have no idea what impact that's going to have on the people around you. And that, the, the interview with the guy in the cab, driving around Scarlet. Oh, that was probably, that was probably my moment. favorite yeah. moment of the whole thing because when he said like it's a battery that charges the performers and mm-hmm. the audience I, that is exactly what a show is. Yeah, he was a, I didn't get to experience a it. little unnamed driver and he has like the most beautiful sentiment of the entire movie and like that in and of itself is worth it because the the interviewer is like Oh, uh, did you see the show last night? Like, yeah. Uh, you go to many rock shows? No. And I, apparently I've been missing out on a lot because, yeah, it's just this battery, these self-charging batteries where their batteries are charging each other where the performers get feeding off the audience and the audience is feeding off the performer. And, like, just you could tell something feel, changed for him. You can feel the tension between the audience. He's like you're watching yeah. the performance itself. Is almost like watching a movie. It's and hearing just... him describe it, it's like, this is nothing like this has ever happened to me in my mm. entire life. And like, that's music. That's why we love it. That's why we care about the it. That's why we're crying. doing this. The, yeah. Like, it's amazing. because it fucking moves you. Like, mm. whether or not you intended to have this experience, you showed up at this place and something took you over. And like, that is what matters. And that's very cool. So. Yeah. That was nice. Well, I think that that, that so I think the old man, I think the lady, the girl crying, and I think Sham, Sam Shepard, when he was, uh, when he was talking about Shakespeare, right? You know, yeah. like the, the troops that come through your town, and you had no idea that you know, in a world like Shakespeare's, that's like that could be a once in a lifetime experience. I don't think you can really be unsatisfied. I think you just might it might not stick with you. Actually, you know what? I probably would like it more now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it because I wouldn't have those things to pull out. I would just be like, oh, yeah, you would have just been like, oh, these collages, these like yeah. taking from the, that old, you know. You know the the old putting on the masks and everything, all that stuff paid off in the end. I mean, that's just a good filmmaker making a great film. Like all of that filmmaking stuff really paid off throughout the whole thing. You know? Oh I don't yes, even know what you're talking to quote about. Bob Dylan at the very beginning of the film, it's about nothing, just a thing that happened 40 years ago. I don't remember a thing about it. Yep. And then it goes on to say, I wasn't even alive then 40 yep. years ago. Exactly. <laughs>
And I think doing that was also incredibly specific to the time period that we're living in with Netflix and what we're trying to do with it. Because I think you're trying to show Bob Dylan as this kind of kind of goofball poet in a way that I don't think that No Direction Home didn't do that to him. That was a much more serious movie. But right off the bat, you're just like, this is a fucking goofball movie. This is going to be fun. And I kind of like that because it was fun. Uh, oh, it yeah. wasn't. No Direction Home is a lot more, there's a lot more weight going on in that because it's also a social history of the 60s. This one really dealt with two years and didn't really, it, it touched on the things that were important. It touched on the American Indian movement. It touched on, you know, um, incarcerating black men, you know, disproportionately to whites. It touched on all of the things that Bob Dylan was doing on that tour and sort of raising awareness of, but it didn't beat your head, beat it over your head. You mm-hmm. know? If you want to know more, the, the the sources are endless. We were joking. I was like, oh no, there's no way Kiss is like involved. Sharon Stone was just wearing the Kiss shirt. And then yeah. Like, Scarlett was dating Gene Simmons. Like, what the fuck? And then the whole Kabuki theater too and like spitting the blood. Like Incredible. That was a brilliant moment too. Like, yeah, apparently somehow Sharon Stone wearing a Kiss shirt or sweatshirt as the picture showed. So uh, who can you trust Sharon Stone's memory or that picture of her wearing picture, a right. sweatshirt and not a t-shirt? Mm. I digress. Uh, when did you take that? Right. <laughs> Why? Right? Apparently, Scarlett... Yes, our Scarlet. Our Scarlet. Our violin ma- master, possible best, witch. Best. Possible <laughs> witch. Amazing, beautiful weirdo Scarlet is dating Gene fucking Simmons and had taken Bob to a kiss show. It sounded like, I think, was the it anecdote. Sounds like it, yeah. And then uh, we cut to him putting that white Bob, uh, putting white face paint on. And I'm like, wait a second. Are we saying that kiss inspired? Well, I was like, no. Nah. Bob did do the white face paint, and then, yes, confirmation. That is exactly what like, fucking oh, happened. I think I went to a show and uh, filed that back in the back of my head. Like, that might have happened. Christ. The idea of bands doing impromptu shows now is, like, so easy because you can just announce it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you'll have this huge group of people yeah. showing up for you immediately. Uh, to do it so, like, guerrilla style where you just have your people running in the streets like, hey, you guys standing over there. You want to go see Bob Dylan tonight? Joe by Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. were just gonna get lit. Why don't you get lit and come to the show? Tickets are eight fifty, which is apparently forty five. Uh, forty dollars and forty six cents in today's dollars, which is which not is still, nothing. No, that's still cheap but for for what you're getting. For Bob Dylan, for what you're getting, Good Joe Biden. Yeah, come, come on. on. So you I think that's pretty great. The idea. Of, I mean, the whole thing is fantastic. I'm glad I watched it. I, I I like the idea of it. I think that people should do that more. And Jason Webley, let's shout him out. Mm. He's been wanting to do this uh, floating barge review oh, thing okay. so he uh, apparently is really into shipbuilding so he built a raft well, finally get, uh, Jack Elliott if you need a sailor <laughs> oh my god his, right his knots and he's actually doing it so he's doing fundraising concerts uh, th- this month and uh, throughout Portland and Corvallis and then um, the beginning of July he's actually getting his little troop of people to nice. float down the Willamette there's a part in the Willamette where they're gonna have to get off disassemble the boat and then reassemble it oh, up, up the river yeah, yeah wherever the big drop is yeah. but yeah so like the, this is a cool idea. Yeah. It's a really neat thing to have like this traveling band of of performers to do this neat thing. That like I don't know. It's very cool. Like let's be honest. No kid is gonna be like, I want to know this obscure fucking five hour movie that was made during the nineteen seventy five Rolling Thunder review. No one thinks that. That's one of the last things you come to as a Bob Dylan fan. You know. So the fact that that exists still, people that are gonna get obsessed with this are gonna filter down into this. More Ronaldo and Clara hits. I mean, and 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 in the future we're gonna get it, but I think it's gonna be after Bob Dylan is is dead and 
we are going to have, you know, a, just a, a, an honest look back on all of this stuff. Because Bob Dylan is not a is not a reliable narrator, and that's fine. That's, he yeah. doesn't need to be. I like, I get it, man. You don't want to sit here and talk about your life. Let the record speak for itself, and it did. So the moments of Bob Dylan and the levity that he brought, I think, was excellent. I love this version of Bob Dylan. I didn't think that he would be as jovial. I thought we were literally just going to have him for a minute saying exactly what he said at the beginning, but not with any laughter or funny business. Like just, I wasn't there. I don't know anything about it. I and then like, boom, we're done. <laughs> Well, and that, your life another thing that the filmmaker seemed to have a take because he did outline. He was like, "There's so many people orbiting him." It, like mm. the that pull of success and how like you know groupies, for lack of a better term, which he goes out of his way to not use the word groupies, maybe because he doesn't know it, whatever. Um, just like people that are um, sucking up to the fame, you know, that are just like trying to ride his Bob Dylan's coattails and trying to be part of the action. Yeah. And he had to seem to have disdain for them, which I, I like I get because like you're gen- disingenuous human beings that are really just trying to use this person in this moment for your own means. Not that he wasn't also doing the same thing. Right, but, but Bob would also, I mean, in all of the interactions you have with him, he's also incredibly uncomfortable with the whole thing as mm-hmm. well. But it's, I mean, there's so many people at the Rolling Thunder. That's something you don't see. You don't see a huge troop of people going off city after city with your lead singer driving the bus. <laughs> it's Bob driving an RV. Like that, I think that era is Almost long Almost worth gone. it for that. It is. Like, I don't think we can make it to Boston on time. Like that, that's it. That's the whole documentary. <laughs> Love it. Done. So I don't know. I think, I think it's for anybody out there. I think it's just a really cool snapshot in time. It's long. It's yeah, long, it's two and a half hours. So I think that's a little tough if you're just kind of like diving into it, you know, sort of like, I thought it'd be an hour and a half. Yeah, that could be a turnoff too if you like. I don't know. You know, like Joni Mitchell showing up was like this light. They just let her play her Coyote song, like just, which is fucking incredible. What? I mean, and anyone, I guess anybody else play a full song? Even Joan Baez didn't get a full song. So I am a terrible person. I don't know anything about Joni Mitchell except for "Case of You." I think is the only song I've ever heard of hers. Um, and she, her playing Coyote song, I was like, oh my god, I want to. I need to know everything about her. I need to do all the things. So. That hopefully people are having that moment with Bob Dylan yeah. or, or fucking even Joe Baez because of this, like right. Mm-hmm. So oh, then she it's was great successful. too. She wasn't uh, portrayed in the way that she uh, that archival footage showed her in uh, No Direction Home. You know, this was a this was somebody who understood sort of the gesture, like the whole joke of her like dressing up like Bob Dylan. Like, it was cool. it was this meta commentary on like who Bob Dylan was and who she could never be because he was a man, because he mm-hmm. was he could detach himself in a way that I think most people just generally people in general cannot. I recommend if you haven't watched it to go watch it, you know, they actually had cinema 21 here in Portland played last night. Oh, no so kidding. They, yeah. So there was a world premiere across the, across the world actually, uh, where they would play the, one night before or whatever. So what we could have gone, fuck? we could have gone, could have gone. And I learned about it way too late. I learned about it like the day of, uh, so, that would still have been in time. I know, but it's, Whatever, it's over. It's over. Uh, and it, there's something to be said about enjoying it in your air-conditioned yes. living room when it's 95 degrees outside, including in the blockhouse right now, where it's fucking hot. None of them along the line No time what it's worth Okay, so that was our initial reaction to the movie. It has since come to our attention. And it doesn't feel like... It feels like we should have known better. The worst part is that it was immediately after. Immediate. We were we watched the movie. We recorded our little episode. And then immediately... 
immediately after you came into the living room and you're like, so turns out <laughs> everything was a lie. And all of those feelings we had, which we expressed on the show, which is like, I just felt like I was stupid. I felt like I was a bad Bob Dylan fan. I felt like I just didn't know because you were right. You were like, how didn't you know about the Sharon Stone thing? Right. And I was like, dude, listen, like that is such a huge thing. Turns out it was completely fake. Obviously, no one fucking heard of it because it wasn't fucking real. Like the, all the kiss stuff. I mean, everything. So I'm going to go through uh, quickly just like the signs that in hindsight were fucking obvious. And I think it's interesting because I don't consider myself a fucking Dylanologist. I don't consider myself a super, super fan or anything like that. And this was a this was an occasion where I was like, maybe I just don't know enough about Rolling Thunder. But it turns out that I really should have known better. Um the signs were obvious. Dylan's demeanor to begin with. We've like never in the interview parts at the beginning. Never seen Bob Dylan so chipper, so fucking ooh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, he says stuff like it doesn't matter and I wasn't even alive and all that fun stuff all the time. But to have him tell stories about this fake filmmaker like eating too much food, that's some goss that Bob Dylan would never do. He just would never participate in shit like that. Hmm. So the fact that he's doing it, I think needs to be questioned. How is Bob Dylan being this candid? Great question. Nobody answered that. The bicentennial backdrop. Honestly, 1976. Jimmy Carter was not elected until 1977. Uh, well, in 76, but inaugurated in 77. That is well after this. So we're talking about Jimmy Carter in the White House at the end with Hurricane Carter. And it's like, <laughs> you know better at that point. You fucking know better. And you just don't, you just allow it as like a time split time slip basically mm -hmm. because he doesn't get out of jail right away it keeps going so in my head i'm like oh we're just kind of using information from the future even though right. it doesn't nothing about jimmy carter is even involved in hurricane like none of it it's hard to kind of go over all of this so the big one sharon stone was completely uh fake the f it was a photoshop photo that's photoshop oh really yeah i mean it, it's not real she didn't do this none of this is real that is a photo this is a photoshopped photo wow I know the Photoshop is sometimes very elegant and sometimes disgustingly bad yeah. where I said when we were watching, I was like, that's fucking Photoshop. Like they're not even fucking trying. And then I'm like, but I guess that's 1975 for you. <laughs> you know, you just like immediately right. are lulled back into because it automatically goes right back into the archive footage and right back into Sam Shepard and Allen Ginsberg, like people that were it's actually so there. And you're like, yeah. Oh, I guess this is all a documentary. Why would you not think why, that? Why would you not? So, hilariously the Sharon Stone thing completely made up and her not hearing just like a woman is scandalous like I said that at the time I was like how how do you not know just like a woman and if you don't know about just like a woman episode 84 go go listen to that uh, Sharon Stone does not have a take because she's she's never <laughs> apparently heard it the kiss connection not real and I knew this. I knew this deep down. Well, the fact that like, so Scarlett never dated Gene Scarlett Simmons. Scarlett did date Gene Simmons. Is that his, that's his name, right? Yeah. Gene Simmons. Yeah. They Who did am I date. thinking of? Simmons. Uh, Richard Simmons. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's wild. So See, that's I thought the real. whole thing was made up. <laughs> no. So that is a real thing. But oh, apparently Scarlett. saw him in Queens. They did not play in Queens in like 73 or whatever. They were not that on that scale yet. Okay. Um, and in terms of the, the mask and everything, that's actually a part of the Ronaldo and Clara movie um, hmm. is this 1945 movie by Marcel Carnet called Children of Paradise. And it's like a, in the same way that Rolling Thunder is Ronaldo and Clara specifically is told in a way of like the songs themselves are sort of uh, metaphors for the relationships that are happening. It's the same that that um, that movie is basically um, 
the same idea just in like a production of a play. So like a play is happening, okay. but then it's like a behind the scenes, like real lives are, are intermingling and then they're going out and performing this. So there's this separation between what's real and what's stage and stuff like that, which is perfect. And honestly is brilliant, you know, it's brilliant in, in Ronaldo and Clara and it's brilliant in this iteration of this for for netflix by martin scorsese um dylan claiming to not know the names of any of his band members yeah that was, was really hilarious i mean it, why would we even do this making fun of dave mansfield like rude and he didn't know who mick ronson was because he was uh, bowie's guitar guitarist like what's going on well that th- i'm really glad that that was bullshit because that like stuck in my craw for a guy especially not just that you performed with these people for months on end like that guy yeah, but also that he's such like a student of music. Yeah. Like, I mean, listening to Theme Time, the dude can rattle off these like mm. arbitrary facts about these people that no one's ever heard of. And then he's like, oh, I don't fucking know. Who is that guy? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my guitarist, whatever. His name <laughs> whatever. Was, like, hilarious. Yeah. In hindsight, utterly brilliant. Like, I, I just love it so much. Uh, Roger McGuin bugging Van Dorp's room. Remember when oh, he was right, like, I yeah. think my things, and he's like, I'm not saying there was a bug, but I'm not saying there wasn't a bug. Like, what the fuck was that? Thing? Was the whole orgies thing like a... So that's a thing. Real? And, and he was labeled, uh, that was Ronnie Hawkins, uh, as the shit kicker. Right, yeah. So, like, it could all just be bullshit. Yeah. Incredible. <sighs> Amazing. Uh, the multiple reasons why Rolling Thunder is called, that's been something happening for a long time. Either the Rolling Thunder as in it was happening with the weather or mm-hmm. chief rolling thunder. Those are all, or operation rolling thunder, uh, through Cambodia. Right. Those have all been out there. And I think in episode 26, we actually talk about what the rolling thunder is. And we, I think we mentioned all three of those because those have been out there forever. So that was, at least they like said it was all three. You yeah. Know? They never picked one. So. They never picked one, which I think is fair. And I, I would just, I'm sure Dylan wants it to, to be that way. Also, I think the direness of losing money was also not a thing. The world, um, is so much different today than 1975. Like, Bob Dylan just came off a tour where he was selling, you know, made millions and millions of dollars to go on a tiny little tour run. They're not going to lose money. Like Columbia is an enormous institution. Bob Dylan is a cash cow and is now like with blood on the tracks, once again, becoming the biggest artist in the world. And touring today is how bands make money. They don't make money from digital sales, but Bob Dylan was still selling records back then. That's how they made their money. So this little tour, not really working out, there's no way that it's like, oh, Bob Dylan, the industry is going to collapse. Not a chance. So that was kind of hilarious on the face of it. But I think more of what they're trying to get at is like the idea of doing something that is creative and artistically satisfying that is not going to sell, quote unquote, sell um, out stadiums or whatever. He wants to do something smaller. So it's like a commentary because they do say that the rub between, as we said in our thing, the rub between industry and and artistry is definitely something that this that this movie is trying to to do well plus they were selling the t- if if that was real it selling was. The tickets for 50 bucks a piece like it wasn't nothing that's not the cheapest ticket it's not the most expensive oh but true like, that's right 40 46 dollars yeah. or whatever yeah so the eight dollar yeah so I'm sure true. they didn't make nothing that's- true and so that was all real uh and then the credits themselves i think when you get to the end and you might have been thinking the whole time like mm, some of this was bullshit uh, you have like Ginsburg as the Oracle, the Oracle of Delphi, Patti Smith as the punk poet, Scarlet as the queen of swords, Jack Elliott as a sailor, Mansfield as the innocent, Hawkins as a shit kicker, Joni Mitchell as the artist. You're like, oh, this is really fun. And then you got three names from the three people that we had definitely the most connection with in a way. Well, maybe not all of them, but definitely Martin Van Halsberg, who is the guy who plays Van Dorp. Mm. He is part of a performance group 
that is no longer existing called the Kipper Kids from 1980. They broke up in 1982. He's married to Bette Midler, who we saw in archival footage, uh, which is fun. He was an actor in a movie called The Spirit of 76, which is also kind of strange, uh, from 1990, which apparently is about kids going back. It's 2176, and they're going back in time, but they think they're going to 1776 oh, shit. in a time travel machine, huh. but they go back to 1976, so then it's like just jokes about the 70s in 1990, which I'm sure is looks terrible. Oh, yeah. He also directed one episode of Tales from the Crypt. Okay. So nothing. Michael Murphy who is our politician guy, who was with Jimmy Carter, is not a politician. He's just an actor. Uh, he was in a 19... Uh, he was in a 90s... Actually, he was in an 80s HBO mockumentary, like a documentary-style thing, called Tanner 88, where he was he was running for president with actual Democratic um, nominees. Um, but he was just, like, participating. And it apparently was real. Like, during, like, the Iowa caucuses and all of that, like, he was there they filmed it oh, no while shit. there as a fake candidate um so he's he's he does that kind of like sort of becomes the character type of thing he was also in uh the fx show the bridge that got unceremoniously canceled x-men last stand he was in that as well and amazingly he's in a canadian show called street legal which hmm. is a bob dylan 1978 bob dylan album sure is street legal also completely photoshopped that photoshop of him, of him with, and like, Carter. oh my oh, god that was it's really fucking bad. horrible and then uh james giannopoulos who is the promoter uh, he's actually the CEO of Paramount Pictures. <laughs> so, like, he's just, like, a person in the world. But I don't think they're saying that he's not him. But, like, they're trying to pretend that he moonlit as, like, a promoter of the Rolling Thunder Review. He had nothing to do with it at all. So, what do we what do we make of this? The Van Dorp thing. Oh, what a great character. So, that was interesting, too, because he's in a lot of the archival footage. So, that gets me to my feeling about this a little bit. Um you can hold two thoughts simultaneously on this. One, just like with uh, the show that will not be mentioned, you you can hold two thoughts. One of them is that Scorsese, and to be honest, it's pretty much Bob Dylan too. They've earned leeway to do with history, and especially Dylan's history, however they want to do it. Right? Scorsese is a great filmmaker, and this is a great film. And he's done incredible documentaries on musicians from Bob Dylan, No Direction Home, uh, to the band, of course, with The Last Waltz, but he also did uh, George Harrison living in a material world from like 2002 or something like that. And then he also did a Rolling Stones thing in 2006, I want to say. Um, so he's done serious documentaries about incredibly enormous musicians in the 20th century. So he's earned the right, if you will, right, to kind of fuck around, have a little bit of fun. You might not associate fun with Scorsese, but I think he did it well. Now, you can hold that in one hand, and I do. I think it's an incredible film. I love it a lot. Number two is that when you take Van Dorp and you dub in Van Dorp, you're overdubbing the name Howard Alk. The footage that we were able to utilize in Rolling Thunder is shot by some incredible director-cameramen, Dave Myers, uh, Howard Alk, and a few others. Here, the Rolling Thunder review, which I didn't know much about, but I sensed that there was a negative response to this tour. But... I didn't quite understand it. People always complaining about something Bob Dylan did. Always. Like, you know, anything. The footage that I saw that was captured from stage, on the stage, was remarkable, I thought. But what's the story? What are we telling? What, what is it about? David brought over the assembly of, of this film. And I remember watching it, and uh, it was in the afternoon, and then sunset 
came down by the end as the film was ending. It was very beautiful. But I looked at him and said, I don't know, it's conventional. Now, I'm not saying take something that's quote conventional unquote and distort it just for the sake of, sake of distorting it. So what's it really about? What do I care where they went? Alk is the filmmaker. Alk is the one oh, that did gotcha. Don't Look Back. He's the one that did Eat the Document. He's the one that did Ronaldo and Clara. He's the one that did Hard Rain, which is the only document um, that was filmed for Rolling Thunder, but it was a 76 portion. And that was released, you know, you could watch that on ABC television um, in 1976. So by taking Howard Alk out of it is disappointing. Uh, Michael Gray, talking about Ronaldo and Clara, um, he said, quote, whatever the film at the time, talking about Ronaldo and Clara, and especially the hurricane bits, all the hurricane stuff that was done in there, that was Howard Alk. Um, Whatever the film achieves or doesn't, it offers a survey of North America. And while TV reportage deliberately keeps non-WASP America invisible, the special strength of Ronaldo and Clara's survey is the high visibility and insists on giving to this other America. Two things about this are clear. It makes for a politically radical act and it reflects Bob Dylan's vision as much as Howard Alks. So what we're seeing here is a is the two of them working together to make something. And so it's I trust Bob Dylan when he replaces Alk with Van Dorp because it's a story and because you're obfuscating even further. So I respect that. And I think that Howard Alk would probably be like, fuck yeah, Bob, get it. But it still kind of hurts. It's still kind of troubling. So I don't know how I feel about that. But I don't but I think you can quickly become a curmudgeon. Every literally every qualm I had about this movie was totally erased because it was fictionalized. It makes so much sense in hindsight that it didn't go the places I wanted it to go because you would have shown your hand too much if you got into the minutiae that I was like, but why why didn't we talk about this thing? Right. Because we're we're living in a little bit of a fantasy world. Yeah. Uh, it is too bad that, you know, how I think I think all they should all they should have done is at the very end had like a little alk shout out. Or something, yeah, because he's he is kind of just completely disappeared. Yeah, it would have been like they could have showed like a side by side of like Van Dorp and then they've been like Howard Alk. Yeah, know, I know. In just memory something. of whatever kind yeah, of thing, just yeah. something. Yeah, because he he committed suicide in 1982. So oh, that's yeah, that's something that I wasn't thinking of when I was when I was watching this. And you kind of have Alk in your mind just because I know I knew that I know that, but then I was like, sure, Van Dorp, why not? It's a real person, why not? Mm-hmm. And so I think I think I still come down on this is incredible. And I think it's better once you know the fictionalizations because I don't think it takes away. I think it just heightens kind of the the whole atmosphere as it stands. Well, it also helps the whole Sharon Stone bobbing electrist like gross guy. But not that there weren't instances in Bob's life where something like that had happened. But it does like, oh, that's nice that you weren't like preying on. But it's also just like it's willing to go there, which is something that's very strange too to even introduce something like that. Well, that's so. what I'm saying. It's believable. It's like, you could see that happening. Sure. It's just believable enough. That's why I really think it's, well, it's that's why brilliant. you were, you were outraged. You were like, how did you not know? How would you not know about the Sharon Stone anecdote? The fact that Charlotte was actually with, <laughs> Scarlett was actually with Gene Simmons. is just like, that's great. She really did carry around swords, and she really was with you too. I mean, and you can't stay away from that. And Martin Scorsese did a really interesting interview, too, where he talked about sort of the decisions and how they were trying to put this whole thing together. But he was like, at the end of the day, you can't take away that girl crying at the concert. Right, like yeah. after the show. You can't take away the taxi driver. Quiet. What keeps it together in that sense? This creative energy. He always talked about the commedia dell'arte, the traveling uh, players. 
when it all else all else fails, that's what happens. Person gets up, tells a story, and sings. There's a mythology that grows up about it, so let's embrace the mythology. This is not a legend. This is a kind of myth, kind of supposed to explore something that is timeless about us as human beings. There's one shot of a young woman crying after the concert. To have something that touching, that that moves you so much, that was real at that time. It's nothing to to uh, ignore that if something can move us, make us think, make us feel before you think even, that should, that's something that has to be preserved and has to be captured and be reminded. Audiences today have to be reminded of what that's possible. Van Dorp is a fun character and probably says a lot of stuff that people felt at the time, you know, or at least is like some mouthing portion of like, why do we care about Bob Dylan? You know, right, which yeah. is I think important because then it's like, well, here's a reason to care. Here's why we care. Here's, and honestly, just, juxtapose that with something like ISIS and you're like, oh well, shit. Now I, I get it. I see why people like this guy. Fuck. That's sure. a crazy experience. And I think when you do stuff like that, that's a that's a interesting way to tell a story. Well the the um who is the playwright guy? Steve uh, Sam Shepard. Sham Shepard, yeah. Uh, Sam Shepard. Sham Shepard. Yes. Uh <laughs> the the thing him talking about the Shakespeare like coming mm. through and changing people's lives because yeah. we're able to see theater and I, I think that's the most prescient thing of the the if like we're going to try to pick this is the takeaway it's that this group of musicians and artists came through and showed people that might not have access to this thing otherwise because it was too far away or whatever and too big venue that like a great time they, and they had a huge emotional resonance and yeah. changed changed the people's lives for sure absolutely like I mean I've definitely been to shows where I'm like I want to do this because this person is amazing yeah yeah you have that feeling all the time and it's. And it's unique, too, if you can do it, especially in America at that time. And it's just one of those things, you know, because tours come around all the time now. The world is very different from 1975. But they make a point of that, too. They're like, this is Boston. It's really run down. You know, these places, Plymouth, and they're hurting. 1975, is, we were in a recession. Like, this didn't happen every day, especially a Bob Dylan. And, yeah, I don't think you can take away that kind of stuff. So if Scorsese was trying to make a Spinal Tap movie... You know, he succeeded on a couple of fronts. This is kind of an outlandish thing when you think about it. It's hilarious that you brought all these people together. But it really happened. But it really happened. Yeah. But then what is real and what's not? Sure. And I just think that question is really, like, you never you never for once think that Spinal Tap is real. Right. But, you know, what is it? But Maybe. is it that far off of, like, Def Leppard or whatever's lives? Right. So I think him doubling in that, sure. I think some people are maybe a little, like, they don't think of Scorsese doing that. But I think that he really he did it well yeah. i mean as somebody who loves the mockumentary style and i love spinal tap this thing definitely checked those boxes for me so highly recommend it if you if you don't already if you haven't already watched it but those are our take and i, I thought i think it's important to put out just our initial reactions too because it's hilarious it's just <laughs> hilarious you walk away from it and you're just immediately fired up and you want to talk about van dorp and you just feel like you've been cheated all these years by not knowing more <laughs> about this guy and, you know, it's, now it makes sense. yeah. So uh, if you're going to do anything with Bob Dylan, we should have listened. If I'm not wearing a mask, I'm not telling the truth. So we were not looking at the Bob Dylan mask. We were looking at his face mm-hmm. lying to us and we wouldn't have it any other way. So <laughs> all right, Kelly, I'll see you in time wherever you are. SOTWpod.com. You'll see where we are. See that my playlist is kept clean if you want to know what song we're talking about in real time. But otherwise, this is the close on. The Supplemental Series Volume 6. Hopefully we'll have a number 7, number 8, number 9 Let's down the go. road. Maybe we should pump the brakes. Yeah. Or we'll record them and just never put them out. So. Oh, classic. See ya. Bye.
They sat together in the park As the evening sky got dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Tingle up to his bone Cause then he felt alone He'd gone straight and watched out for a simple twist of fate. 